We are going to um, continue for a few more weeks this idea of fight the good fight. It's been the theme that we embraced for 2021. And you know what? That's, that's almost over. It's, we're working through the year pretty quickly. We have some exciting things coming up. Our annual missions celebration uh, will take place in um, late October. And then the holidays begin, and we're going to be ready to move into 2022, the Lord willing. Our theme for 2022 is the word, pa or excuse me, the word fullness. And um, we, we believe that God is walking us down a, a, a passionate path to fullness, and he's going to help us uh, to become everything that he has called us to be. But as we end this year, there are some things that I want to share with you, some of it new, some of it old, but we are preparing the vessel. We are preparing our vessels. We're preparing the church to hold everything that God has. Now, we're only going to read a few verses from 2 Kings 3. Let me remind you that last week we talked about how to get the most out of prophecy. And we distinguished between the, the New Testament gift of prophecy, which can be predictive. We know that from Agabus, from Jesus himself, from Paul. But we also know that it is to edify, to comfort, to encourage. <coughs> and we, we said that we always want to remember that the written scripture is always takes precedent over uh, the, the, the gift of prophecy because we, you and I, uh, in spite of what, you know, your spouse may tell you, none of us are protected from error. None of us are carried along without the potential for failing or, or speaking out of the flesh, but, um, that, that doesn't mean we should ignore it, but we need to focus primarily on the written word of God and anything that God gives that that flows out of that or complements that is good. But we said that when we really get a grip on biblical prophecy, and that's where our foundation is, we need to understand of the scripture that it is the word of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God that is preserved from error, inspired, God-breathed. And the Bible says that holy men were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that we can trust the word of scripture. And um, we, we need to understand that when we have the written word of God understood properly and taught properly, that cannot fail. Now, human wisdom can. We may misunderstand something. That does, it doesn't mean if someone's wrong, that doesn't mean that their heart is wrong. Uh, it doesn't mean that they intended to be wrong. It's just we, we have the problem of trying to interpret and trying to make some pretty significant decisions quickly. But when we understand written prophecy, we said it produces four things in our life. Number one, it produces praise because as we understand prophecy, it helps us understand this thing called history. Not only what has happened, but what will happen. And we know that God is in control. It, it helps us make sense of suffering. Um, don't feel like, uh, you know, I ought to know everything there is to know. The Bible tells us that uh, on about four occasions, I think, it says after this happened, then the disciples understood what Jesus meant when he prophesied it. So um, just because... 
we know some things doesn't mean we know all things. So it helps us make sense of our suffering, and it helps us understand why there is injustice in the world right now, but that God will set everything right. So it turns my heart to praise. It secondly will turn my heart to prayer because even though there are things that God said, I am going to do, you have my word on this. Often in the next verse, he'll say, so pray for it. Pray that it will happen. And it's not because God said, I'm going to do my best, but come on, I need everybody to cheer with me and let's work together so I'll have the strength to get it done. No, God is giving us an invitation to partner with him. And uh, we do that through prayer. He said, I will build Jerusalem. I will restore it. It shall be done. And in the very next sentence, he says, therefore, I will be inquired of by Israel for this to take place. He says, because I purposed in my heart, I'm going to put it in the heart of the people of God to pray so that it will come to pass. So it brings up praise in my heart. It brings up prayer. And wonderfully pointed out by John the Apostle in chapter 3, I think it is, of his first letter. He says, he that, talking about the return of the Lord, he says, everyone that has this hope in him purifies themselves even as he is pure so it produces purity and it doesn't stop there the final thing when we really understand prophecy we find it in the book of revelation stated a little differently twice the the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy so it leads us to preaching or to proclamation Um, uh, 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 an understanding of prophecy that makes you want to run to the hills and just withdraw from civilization. I'm not saying there's not a time to do that. Uh, you know, I'm not saying there's, there's, not re, uh, there's not understanding of those who do that. But I will say this. It, understanding prophecy never makes us withdraw from the lost. It causes us to proclaim the word of God. It's the testimony of Jesus. Now, I want to talk about an incident in the life of Elisha. I want you to understand I'm not being allegorical. Scripture is not allegory. I don't believe in allegorical preaching. I don't believe the Scripture says, well, this means this, and this means this. this means Even the parables, you have to be careful because parables aren't allegories. In an allegory, everything is intentionally stated to represent something else. In a parable, there is a main thought that's being communicated. And you've got to be careful. Not everything in a parable has theological consequence. You find the main meaning of a parable and you go with that. I don't, I don't like a, an, an allegorical approach to Scripture. I don't think that we should preach allegorical messages. But I do believe this. Everything that was given to us can be made applicable to our lives. There is an application that we can draw from Scripture. There are principles that we can learn. And I think there's a big principle in 2 Kings chapter 3. Now, to give you the whole background, I didn't put the, the entire reference down because it would take too long to read it. But God had made a promise that he was going to destroy the house of Omri. Now, you say, the house of Omri, I know that name. Yes, Omri became king in the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, His son uh, uh, Ahab, you know, Ahab and Jezebel, they began to rule. And then, uh, what was it, three of Ahab's sons reigned. But God said, I'm going to bring the reign of Ahab, of uh, Omni down and I'm going to destroy that house. You see, in the southern kingdom, in Jerusalem, 
there was always a son of David on the throne. God kept his promise to David. There was always a, a son of David on the throne. But in the north, in Samaria, in the northern kingdom of Israel, this is after the civil war that occurred um, after Solomon died, there were several families that rose to power. You know, it's like if you study the kings and queens of, of, um, of England, you know, you find that there are, there's this family that was king and queen for a while, then this family, and then this family. A lot of families shared that title. That's the way it was in the north. And God said, I'm going to bring down the house of Omri with judgment. And he used a man named Jehu. And that's what happened. But what happens, and I've got to, I've got to, you know, I want you to understand this. I have done everything in my power to help God understand this. <laughs> he does not always work as quickly as I think a good PR man would have him do. Um, you know, Ecclesiastes says, because a sentence of judgment is not immediately carried out against sin, two things happen. The heart of the people is broken, saying nothing's ever going to change. And the hearts of the wicked is emboldened to do more. So I've, I've told God how he could solve that. Um, and for those of you that are new today, you, I am joking. I am joking. There's, there's nothing I can tell God. And, uh, uh, but, but seriously, one of the big struggles we have with God is he doesn't do things as quickly as we want him to do it. Um, now that's in his wisdom, that's for his glory, and it's for our best interests too, but we don't always remember that. We know it intellectually, but we don't always wrap our arms around it and, and kiss it. You know, it's like a, a family member sends you a picture they took at Christmas, and it's a picture of you with them, and they look good, and you look horrible. Um, <laughs> But you know when they come for a visit, they're going to look for it. So what do you do? You put it behind other pictures, or at least the part of you, you know. And um, so we know it's true. We know that he's working for us, but it is hard to put it on the refrigerator and say, I know God is moving. But God said, I'm going to bring down the house of Omri. Now, um, knowing that, knowing what Elijah had said, Knowing the background between Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel, Jezebel tried to kill him. Jezebel totally secularized, well, not, I shouldn't say secularized, she demonized the government of Israel and it was, a, it was an ugly time. And um, when all of that was going on, Elisha, the prophet we're going to read about today, was the assistant to Elijah. He knew, he knew he was going to step into Elijah's role one day. And, and so he was, he was not a fan of King Jehoram or any of the house of Omri. So uh, after Ahab died, the Bible says that his son Jehoram reigned. And during Ahab's rule, and let me say this, the rule of Ahab, a lot of it was very prosperous. And I think we Christians need to be careful um, before you start putting the stock market as the indicator of God's pleasure with a nation uh, or, or even the economy. You know, James Carville said 
it's the economy stupid and that's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in the natural that may be true but the economy you know God said well God said he'll bless us if we obey him he did say that but God also told us that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance um, uh, during the reign of Jeroboam the second in the northern kingdom. Israel was at the greatest peak financially that it had ever been at since the time of Solomon. But they were ripe for judgment and God blessing the nation's economy was giving them one more chance to wake up. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. And I think, um, I, th I think even in our last election, we've got people trying to interpret God based on the economy and, and I, know, I know you got to balance it. I know that. I know you've got you've to seek the Lord because a blessing economically may mean this or it may mean this. But I think we need to grow up in the Lord and understand that uh, this is just very layered. We are in a situation right now that's very much like this. Let me tell you what we've got. When we read this, you'll understand. Um, Ahab had put Moab under this vice where uh, Moab had to give Ahab because they were subject to him a hundred thousand lambs a year that was their taxation a hundred thousand lambs and they had to give the wool of a hundred thousand rams so you got the live animals the rams and when Ahab dies Moab says we're not going we're not going to do this anymore we're going to rebel. You read the Old Testament, that happens a lot when there's a change of administration. They say, he's, we don't know what the new king's going to be like. We don't know what his policies are going to be. If we're going to break loose, this is the time. So Moab said, we're breaking loose. And Jeroboam says, I got to flex my muscle. And he contacts Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, to the south. Now, Jehoshaphat had been reigning, oh, I, I think it's about 18 years at this point. And Jehoshaphat was a good king. He was a godly king. And he knows that at the heart of God is, is Israel to come together. But loved ones, sometimes we try to do a good thing in a bad way. And God was judging the north. And Jehoshaphat made the same kind of mistake that Josiah made later. And he said, yes, I'll partner with you and my horses will be your horses and my chariots will be your chariots. My soldiers will be yours. So you've got Jehoram in the north. You've got Jehoshaphat in the south. You've got um, the king of, uh, uh, of Moab, uh, Mesha, I think was his name. And now you've got these three kings that are on a campaign to wipe out uh, of, of um, uh, the king of Edom, I meant join them. And they're, they're, they're joining ranks to wipe out Moab. Now, I don't know if it was poor planning. I don't know if the enemy was a more formidable foe than they thought. I, I don't know. The, the Bible doesn't say what happened. But after a seven-day campaign, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, the good guys are out of water. They have no water for the soldiers. They have no water for the horses and the, and the herds, the flocks. And uh, now, this is what happens when there's poor planning or whatever. Jehoram says, I thought God was bringing us together to destroy our enemy. Now I see what God is doing. He's bringing us three kings into the wilderness to kill us. And Jehoshaphat said, no, that's, that's not what God is doing. We've got to find the prophet. We've got to get the prophet and bring the prophetic 
back into this and the prophet can help us find water, okay? He says, I know where Elisha is. So the three kings go to Elisha. Now, here's where I want to surprise you. Elisha heard who was at his front door and he is angry. He's angry that Jehoram has come to his house. Now, I know it's unthinkable that Christians would ever be angry at political leaders. I mean, it just doesn't happen in the church. But he was angry. And not only was he angry, he had judged um, Jehoram in this sense. This is what he said. He said, if it wasn't that you were with King Jehoshaphat, who's a good man, I would not even let you in the foyer. So what have you got? You've got a man who is angry and he's justified in his anger. You've got a man that is livid at what has been done by the hand of the king. And can I surprise you? He's justified in his anger. Now, so far you're saying, well, you could be talking about 2021. Yeah, that's why I'm in this verse today. I think one of the things we've got to do before we move on into the new things that God has for us, we've got to decide what do we do when we are angry and what do we do when we feel that we are justified in that anger. Now, let me back up. I, I, I spend way too much time trying to qualify things. I, I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, I, I, I would never say that I felt like Trump was wrong. I will not say that I feel like Biden is wrong. I have opinions, but when I speak those opinions, they're not going to be from behind the pulpit. Some of you were so filled with anger toward President Trump, you needed this message two years ago. Some of you right now are so angry with President Biden, you need it today. Believe me, you don't need another cup of coffee. You need to sit through this message. You at home, leave the waffles alone and take notes, take notes. Because most of the church, whether they are on this side or that side, are in the situation and have been in the situation that we're in right now. Way back in 2016, I spoke and I believe it was a, a prophetic word and I, and I meant it. I said, I do not know who will win the election, whether it's going to be Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. But I said, I am absolutely convinced that the next president, whoever he or she is, will be the most hated president in the history of the United States. And I think Donald Trump was, and I think if Hillary had been elected, she would have been. Because we slipped into the trap of thinking that the, the wrath of man can work the righteousness of God. Now, even good people can slip into anger. Even good people can have very strong opinions. Because, hear me, there's nothing wrong with anger in and of itself. The Bible says to be angry and sin not. The key to anger is how you manage it. What do you do with the anger? It is possible to be angry and sin not. I think it's very difficult. I think it's like trying to build a house of cards. It can be done, but the slightest vibration can cause everything to fall down. 
I think it's also possible to have very strong political opinions, even political opinions that are based on morality, things like abortion and, and, uh, and injustice. But, and, and you can be right about those things. But the question for the people of God is not, am I right? Well, that's the primary thing. Is, is my anger justified? Is my political view justified? Um, and, and, I, and I will tell you this, loved ones, the day is coming between now and the next election, we're going to have to decide what drives our vote. We're going to have to decide what drives our politics. Now in, now in 27 or 8 years, however long I've been here, I've never told you how to vote. I've never done that. But I, I don't want to create an illusion that says it doesn't matter how you vote. That's silly, that's foolish, and I think that uh, garbage coming from the pulpits of America, there was a time when the church was the conscience of America. And now we have a generation of pastors that are telling people it doesn't matter who's in the White House or who's in the governor's house, or it doesn't matter how you vote. And some of you right now, you're just so mad about what I'm saying, and I haven't said anything specific. I haven't said anything specific, but you are putting, you are putting your interpretation on what you think I'm saying. And I might be, or might not be, but li no, listen to me, I'm serious. We have got to get a grip on our anger and we've got to get a grip on our position. We've got to, and the way to do it is to do what Elisha did. Now let's pick up there. Elisha said, now he's just been confronted by the three kings. I want you to help us. As surely as the Lord of armies, or King James usually the Lord of hosts, lives. That's a pretty strong vow. As surely as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. And that phrase, before whom I stand, that was Elisha saying, look, everything I prophesy, everything I do, I give direct accountability to him. I, if I did not respect Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. You know what he's saying to this king of Israel? If it wasn't for Jehoshaphat standing next to you, I wouldn't have even answered the door. All you would have heard is my voice coming over the ring. And I'd have told you to get lost. Here's a man of God. We, we got to deal with this. Here's a man of God says, I have utterly no respect for you. And I would not even answer the door if it weren't for Jehoshaphat standing next to you. You say, oh, that's a bad attitude. I don't know. Let's, let's, let's look. He said, I wouldn't even pay you attention. And then what did he say? And here's the key. So bring me a musician. King James says, bring me a minstrel. Chitty version says, bring me a song, man. <laughs> he did something that is the application I want us to understand. We're not talking about primitive religion trying to work up something with music. That's called voodoo. That's called uh, animism. But I will tell you this, there is something so spiritual, spiritual about music that it has the ability to bring us into the presence of God and to soothe our spirit like few th other things can. 
Now, it can be used in a bad way. It can be used in a neutral way. Some of you, you've been married 60 years. But I tell you what, you go home this afternoon, you eat a little lunch, you plug in the eight track, And you play that song that you used to listen to with your sweetheart when y'all were in college. And all of a sudden you're throwing walkers across the room. You ready, you ready for romance. Why? Because I remember what this song did 60 years ago. It's amazing. Music can also make you angry. I had a friend that was in Vietnam, and I'm I'm not making fun at all. I think the the most underappreciated generation of American fighting men and women were probably from the Vietnam era. But after after he would listen to certain music, his, his wife said, he said he was embarrassed about it, but she said, I'd find him with his uniform on, just sitting in the dark because it brought up such feelings of of patriotism and feelings all over the chart. He wasn't crazy. It was the power of music. And loved ones, Elisha is introducing us to this concept. Now we've got to be careful, especially us charismatics. We must not think that music is some kind of spiritual mysticism that just stirs up something in us. It can do that. But I want to tell you what I believe. I believe that music is one of the most intensely spiritual dynamics in all of our life. That's why we worship when we come to church. And that's why in the average church, there's more fights over music than there is anything else. It's because we we feel the effect of the power of music, but we don't understand the warfare that's going on over that music. Now bring me a musician. And it came about when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. I know I'm interrupting myself, and I only let very intelligent people interrupt me. Here's a man that has no respect for the king standing in front of him. He said, I'm only talking to you because of Jehoshaphat. Here's a man that is angry with what's happened, but he has the presence of mind to say this. I need the influence of another world to help me walk this out and see what God is saying. Now, I'm sure he had prophetic messages. I mean, uh, if, if that had been me, not that I'm worthy to even be mentioned in the same breath as Elisha, but there have been times in my life where if somebody or some certain politician or some certain whatever personality showed up in my house and said, is there a word from the Lord? I'd have said, oh, oh yes. It's a word from the Lord. I'd say, Ramona, bring me the last four journals that I have filled in. Just bring all four of them. Which one do you want me to open? Oh, there's plenty. Just open anywhere. 
But that's not what happened. Now, loved ones, I know I'm, I'm deli- and don't worry about the notes. We're, I'm not sure what we'll do with the notes, but I think this is so important. You say, Pastor, what makes you think this is so important? Because this is the valley I've been walking through. I have been fighting depression. I have been fighting despondency. There are days I've fought a sense of hopelessness. You see, Jeremiah, um, the first eight or ten chapters is basically God telling Jeremiah, they're not going to listen to you. That's not typically the commencement address that you hear in Bible college or seminary. See, we've got our new SESL students, and in about nine months, we're going to graduate them out of here, and I'm going to stand up here and be the commencement speaker, unless they're tired of hearing me as commencement speaker. And we're going to go through it, and I'm going to tell them the world is waiting for you. They are waiting for you on every street corner. They're waiting for you in every valley. They're waiting for you in every village all over the world. They're waiting for you. But I'm not going to tell them they're waiting with sticks and stones and, and, and instruments of torture. I'm not going to tell them that. But that's what God told Jeremiah. You know what Jeremiah said? He said, I have appointed you, and this is in chapter between six and eight. I, I think it's chapter six where he says this. He says, are you guys with me? Okay. He says, I have appointed you as an assayer. That's what New King James says. That's the person that values precious metal. He said, you are to watch Israel and you will give a judgment of them and what they're like. You are my assayer. And he says, I tell you what's happened. They have hardened their hearts. They've been corrected, but they won't bend. And he used this phrase. He says, the bellows are working overtime. The bellows were made to heat the the fire and get it hotter so that the work of purification of the metal would go on. But the Lord says something that sounds very strange. He says, the bellows have, have pumped furiously, but the wicked have not been sledged away. You see, what was happening is that when an assayer would test the metal, the, the, the hot, the trial, the, the, the testing would get hotter and hotter and the impurities would rise to the surface. And it was the job of the helpers of the assayer, as well as the assayer himself, to take an instrument and pull off the impurities and pull off the sledge. And this is what God said, but you are in a country where wickedness and lies is exposed, but nobody pulls it away. They let it cool down and they settle back down into the metal. Now, I'm I'm not saying that's what happened, that's what happens, is happening in America. I'm saying that's what the Lord told Jeremiah he was dealing with. And I think Elisha understood that concept. He He was upset and afraid that nothing would happen. Now, he could have pulled out that sermon that God gave him on a Monday night. You never trust sermons you get on Monday night. Not till you can pray over them. He could have given a decree that would have been deserved by Jehoram and the people of Israel. He could have said, Jehoshaphat, I respect you, but you have no business allying with this man. Go back to Jerusalem and let God continue the work in the southern kingdom. 
He had all kinds of words he could have said, but he had the presence of mind to say, I've got to get into the presence of God. I've got to let the Spirit come upon me. And so I don't want you to think of this in terms of just go play some happy music. Understand that music is a spiritual weapon that can be used by the enemy. It can be, it can be just influencing the flesh neutrally. Or it can be a mighty instrument in the hand of God. And we need to have the wisdom of Elisha where even though this group has, 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 um, has hurt us and angered us, and this group is meddling in business they shouldn't be meddling in to begin with, we have to make the decision that we will not prophesy or preach or act out of our flesh, but that we will, we will put ourselves in the presence of God until the Spirit comes upon us. And quite often that's done through music. Now it could be something else, but quite often it's done through music. You see, um, well, let's go ahead. Um, he says this, this is not what he wants to say, but this is what he says, verse 16. Make this valley full of trenches, for the Lord says this, you will not see wind, nor will you see rain. Yet that valley, now they're thinking, boy, you work for Elijah. He's the one that's called the, the, the storm out of the ocean, and we'll start looking for clouds. He says, you won't see wind, you won't see rain. It's not going to be like the last thing God did. <coughs> but he said, the valley shall be filled with water so that you will drink, you, your livestock, your other animals. And this is amazing what he says in verse 18. Hear me, loved ones, again. You have to determine if this is application to you or not. But most of the time when we call upon God for a miracle, it's to solve our problems. It's to give us something to drink. But this is what God said about providing water in verse 18. This is an insignificant thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand. He said, all you're interested in is getting your thirst quenched and getting your animals taken care of. But I'm telling you, this is nothing. Most of you would be ready to shout and dance, speak in tongues, buy a t-shirt and go back home and say, I was there for the great gully washer. But he said, this is nothing. He said, I'm going to water you. I'm going to save your animals. But this is what this gathering's about. I'm going to deliver the enemy into your hands. Verse 19, then you shall strike every fortified city, every choice city, and cut down every good tree, and stop up all the springs of water, and spoil every good plot of land with stones. And it happened in the morning about the time of offering the sacrifice that behold, no wind, no rain, no storms, that water came up from the direction of Edom and the country was filled with water. Miraculously. Now, what happened is that Israel didn't even know what had happened, but as, as um, uh, the enemy of Israel looked down into the valley the rising of the sun caused the water to look red. And they said, these men have gone crazy. 
Even we know that you don't put Israel and Judah together. They're enemies. They've, they had a civil war they've never recovered from. And then you mix in the Edomites with it. Here are natural enemies that thought they were going to camp together and attack us. They've turned on each other in the night, probably got drunk and got into a fight over a poker game. And they just went wild and the whole valley's full of blood. And they say, let's go get them. And as they descend the mountain, the, the bloody water is suddenly seen to be clear. And it's not what they thought it was. And God turned the enemy. Um, God gave all the Moabites into the hand of Israel and Judah and Edom. And it was a phenomenal victory. That is a lot of stuff we could talk about. But I want to go back to this idea of Elisha having the presence of mind to get into the the, 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 the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we read 2 Kings 3, we're seeing that there is a reality of, uh, that's interpreted this way. What you and I listen to seasons our atmosphere. That's why you need to be careful what you listen to. You need to be careful what you watch. You need to be careful what you fill your life with. You need to be careful who you go to lunch with. Because they season the atmosphere. But let me tell you something else. When you understand the power of the song, the song of the Lord, you also realize that you're ministering not only to change the atmosphere, but you're ministering to God himself. Colossians 3, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. He says there ought to... Now, this is New Testament. This is, not, this is not some mystical Old Testament phrase. This is a clear teaching in the New Testament. He said, let all the richness of Christ rise up in you and be sure that you are singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Music ought to be a part of your life. And it's toward God. But there's also the benefit of music and what it does in you. Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. And I also realize we're in an age where people just don't pay attention to that verse. So I want to read it one more time. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but it just needs to be said. Don't be drunk with wine. Because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. So Colossians, he says, sing it to the Lord. But he said also, sing it among yourselves. And then let it also go to the Lord. Give thanks and uh, making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me say this. Again, the notes, I didn't know which way I was going to go and so you got some bonus material here. I know that it's not natural to sing in a tough place. I know that. And that's why it's so important that we do it. It's not natural to sing in a tough place. The children of Israel had to learn that when they were facing the Red Sea. 
Um, boy, I tell you, they, they were in an absolute panic. God delivered them. They went across the Red Sea. And as soon as they get across the Red Sea and God kills the Egyptians, that was one of the best song services they ever had. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. Ah! We, we, we buy that album over and over and over again. But then David Wilkerson came along and reminded us that we're good at singing the right song, but we sing it on the wrong side. I wonder how many more verses God would have given them if they had just started singing that on the other side. I wonder how much more victory we'd have if we didn't wait for God to prove himself before we pulled out the guitar. Glenn, you ought to love this. One, one translation based very strictly on the Hebrew text has Elisha saying, bring me a man with a guitar. <laughs> King James says minstrel, but it was musician basically to us. And, and, and we think that the situation has to be right before we sing. When Israel, you guys still with me here? When Israel was in Babylonian captivity, their captors said, hey, we've heard about your worship songs. We've heard about your song service. Sing us some of the songs of the Lord. And the Psalms said this, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And then that psalm goes on, they're honoring Jerusalem. If I forget you, may I have a stroke and drop dead if I forget you, Jerusalem. And then they end it with a gloriously encouraging verse that says, may those who persecute Israel have their babies dashed against the rocks and their head busted open. I mean, and, and it ends there. You'd think you'd have another verse where it says, oh, but I didn't mean it. But they didn't. Levin's... I want to tell you, I wonder how much mercy, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doubting the, the inspiration of the psalm, I'm, not, I'm just saying I wonder what would have happened, how would that psalm have impacted others if they had said, no, in a strange land is the place we need to sing the song of the Lord. They need to hear this. I don't know. I don't know. I was reading Jonah this week. And twice, Joan, uh, the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? And that's kind of wordy King James-ish, but basically what God was saying is, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? Is this anger justified? And the first time, Jonah doesn't say anything. The Lord asks him again, do you do well to be so angry? And Jonah says, I do well to be angry. He says, you're right, I have a right to be angry, and I am so mad I can't see straight. Because the grind of waiting, the, the tension when God either doesn't do what we think he ought to do, or he doesn't do it when we think he ought to do it. And lovings, I don't think many have understood, I think fewer have embraced this weaning we are going through. I believe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, you just keep saying this over and over again. You need to go home today and thank God that you have a pastor that's reminding you of what you're going through. I mean, I'm very selfish when I say that, but we are not going to cave into this system. 
We're not going to cave in to the anger paths that the world wants us to cave in. You and I are being weaned from the bottle that we've been on for so long. God told Jeremiah, they will, they will not listen. Now, we know there's the song of the Lord. Let me just point you to some verses. Psalm 118, uh, it, it describes God in his majesty as our strength and our song. Exodus 15, 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. Psalm 32, 7, you are my hiding place. You keep me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Psalm 40, verse 3 said, he put a new song in my mouth. A song that I'm, the, the song I'm talking about is a musical testimony. Part of the resolution of Revelation is, he said, he gives the people of God new songs. Now we have to pursue that song. Sometimes we don't have a song because we just don't know the song. Sometimes, well, I, I got to say, this, I've told you this before, but I, I'm, I'm so embarrassed I'm, I, I, and I apologize to everybody that knew me during those days. When I was in seminary, I went to a church that I thought the worship was dead. I thought the preliminary stuff was dead. So I decided I'm going to be a cutting edge spiritual giant. And every Sunday morning I went down to Hamby's to have breakfast while they did worship and announcements. And then I came in, the great spiritual uh, scholar comes in to hear the word of God. The, the pastor was a master at preaching. But I, I honestly thought I was showing my spirituality by missing worship and announcements because I didn't enjoy the way they did it. You say, well, pastor, you shouldn't have to go to a church that doesn't sing what you want to hear. That's true. You need to go somewhere else. And that's what I should have done. But I tell you what I gradually learned. I learned that I need to be in service to sing every song, whether I like it or not, whether it's my style or not, because somebody, maybe an 18-year-old graduate from high school that doesn't know what they're going to do with their life, maybe a woman whose husband left her and left her with no money and three children to raise, maybe somebody that's fighting cancer and they don't know if they're going to come through or not, somebody is looking for a song. And their song doesn't have to be my song. And now don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm not fussing. I think Glenn does a masterful job of leading our worship. I, that's not just a pat on the back. I, yeah, you need to let him know. He does a masterful job. And the groups, and the groups he's raising up are, are following in that same anointing. In fact, it's just a matter of time. We're going to tell him to hit the road. We don't even need him anymore. No, no, no. You, you know I'm kidding. You know I'm kidding when I say that. But I want to tell you, there is our song that we all sing together, but you need your song. You need a song, a hymn, a chorus. You need something that has become your song. I, every once in a while, we'll sing or I hear on the radio, I hear an old hymn with a new, to a new arrangement. And I, and I catch myself saying, I, I don't like that. I like it the old way. And, and I realize what I'm saying is not that I don't like that song. I do like it. The words are there. 
the anointings there, the sentiments there. But I realize what I'm saying is, no, that song became mine 40 years ago. And I, and I find myself defaulting to the old arrangement. And I've had to adjust my thinking where it's like, I don't, it's not that I don't like that. But every generation has its music. And I want, I pray every Sunday that somebody will take that song that's to a different arrangement or a song that's a new style. And my prayer has not been, Lord, help us to change music. I could do that by just sitting down in Glenn's office and saying, let's do real songs. I, I, I hope you guys know I'm, I'm just having fun with Glenn. I, he, he, I, I, I have no complaints with Glenn's songs. I mean, but, but what I'm understanding is that one of the most important things that can happen at Christian life, and this is why, forgive me for being so blunt, this is why you need to quit staying out in the hallway. Some of you come to church and you haven't been in service in months. You're holding court out in the foyer. And you don't understand that the people you're holding up and keeping out of church need to get their song. They need to hear the word from the Lord. And some of you are looking around. I'm sure that people that do that are not here today. I'm sure they're not here today. I'm sure none of them are watching online. So it's safe for me to say it. Loved ones, we, ha we have got to understand if it was important to Elisha, what we've got to understand is this. I need to get in the spirit. I need to get my song because the song of the Lord brings me into the mind of Christ and brings me into the presence of the Lord. You see, we've got to dig through this Sometimes we don't know the song. Sometimes we don't identify with it. Sometimes we haven't earned it. Uh, you know, I, I told in the first service, I, I, I don't think I'm going to do it today just because of time. But I told about uh, a fellow that had gone through boot camp at Paris Island. And, and I, I won't go into the detail, but for 16 weeks, in those days, boot camp was 16 weeks. And for 16 weeks, he was teased with the Marine Corps hymn. My brother told me, he said, every, every, every boy and, and woman that go into the Marine Corps, they learn the Marine Corps hymn because that's an awesome song and, and I'm going to boot camp, it's going to be my song. And he finds out they will tease you with it, but it ain't your song. He said, for 16 weeks, the last thing we did every night, not my brother, but this other gentleman that we met when we went to Paris Island for graduation. He said, for 16 weeks, they would tease me. He said the first night, the corporal would lead them in a song that was the last thing they do before they go to bed. And he started the Marine Corps hymn the first night and the drill instructor went ballistic. He threw things across the room. He cussed and he used language that I'd be afraid to use. He said, don't you ever sing my song. You don't have the right to sing my song. He said, you see this? He said, I've been in Korea. I was at the, I, I, he said, I was one of the, the frozen chosen. I earned my song. He said, this song doesn't belong to you. Corporal, help them sing their song. And the corporal would lead them. I'm a little teapot, short and stout. 
16 weeks, Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. He said for 16 weeks, we were told we were not worthy to sing it. We hadn't earned the song. And he said on the last night before graduation, and then he'd call them all. He'd say, good night, you blah, 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 blah. Every night, good night, blah, 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 blah. And on the last night, he said, lead them, corporal. The corporal started singing the Marine Corps hymn. And he said, every one of them perked up and began to sing. He said, and the corporal stopped and they, they sang the second verse. He said, you may not know it, Reverend, he says, but there's a third verse to the Marine Corps hymn too. And we sang it. And when we were through with the third verse, we sang the first verse all over again. We sang the second verse. He said, and every one of us were crying. He said, the, the sergeant was watching us because the last thing he'd do is flip off the light and call us something nasty. And he was waiting to turn off the light. He's squalling, he's crying. And he said, and when we had sang through it with all of our might, he said, and we're all blubbering. He said, he looked at us and said something we had wanted to hear for 16 weeks. He said, Good night, Marines. And he flicked off the light. And he said it became our song. Now, loved ones, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Marine. I'm not even worthy to tell that story. But I want you to understand, I do know what it's like in the spirit to get a song. I do know what it's like when I didn't know what I was going to do or didn't know how victory was going to come for the Holy Spirit to come upon me just as it did Elisha and the Lord to give me a melody, the Lord to give me a prophecy, the Lord to give me a word. And my concern is that you're going to have the worst days of your life in the couple of years that's ahead because you insist on holding to everything except a new song. Did he have a right to be angry, Elisha? Absolutely. Was he right in his estimation of Jehoram? I'd say so. God had cursed the family. I'd say yes. But he understood that we don't have the ability for vengeance. We don't have the ability to judge as we really ought to be judged. So we have to let the Spirit come upon us and help us act in a way we don't understand. Churches that are blessed in the days to come will not be churches that compromise the word. Churches that will be blessed in the days to come will not be churches that have found some neat new program, although God may give new programs. Churches that will be blessed in the days ahead are churches that in spite of all the emotion, legitimate emotion, that has covered them, they have submitted and they said, bring out a guitar. Bring out a musician. Let's turn to the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, how, how do I do it? How do I make my song my own? Number one, give it plenty of air time. Give it plenty of air time. Whether it is a song that you punch up on your computer or an old record player. I joked earlier about an eight track. Find your song. Maybe it's going back into your memory of your childhood. And then plant it into your heart. That means you sing it. 
You, you, you know what? Um, you, you need to hear more than the happy Goodman singing the song. You need to sing the song. You need to sing the song. Plant it in your heart. And I, 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 don't, I don't believe songs do their best when we just listen to others sing it. I, th I think there are times they're so low you can't even express something. But plant it into your heart. And let me encourage you, number three, give attention to private and public worship. When Glenn or whomever it is leads worship, enter into it with your whole heart. You say, well, I, Pastor, I just don't particularly care for that song. That's okay. You'll find that at any church you attend. But what you don't know is that somebody 15 feet away from you may be in the struggle of their life and watching you sing that song may plant it in their heart. You know, I, I, I learned as much theology through songs growing up as I did through the preaching. I didn't even sing the songs right. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me. I'm going to tell you, you can sing for years. He socked me and he bought me. <laughs> and it can still become your song. I was the night I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were singing, it's all over me and keeping me alive. I, I was singing it with all my heart, and I, I meant it with all my heart. It's all over me, and it's eating me alive. <laughs> Jesus is eating me alive, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I didn't even have the words right, but it became my song. And can I tell you this? Make it a love song, not background noise. Don't just turn on music to set the mood. There's nothing wrong with that. But that is not the same as it becoming your song. And here's the last thing I'll tell you. When you got a problem, and ask God to give you a song to sing over that problem. I can't think of a single major problem in my life that God brought me through miraculously. That part of the process didn't include a song coming to me and me making it my song. It might mean that I listened to it over and over and over again. And in the depth of my despair, it would come forth. You say, well... Is that really necessary? Well, no, you don't have to have victory. It's not, I mean, seriously, you don't, you're, God's going to get you to heaven whether you live a happy life or a miserable life. I mean, but the choice is yours. I read Zephaniah 3 and it's almost like God saying, watch me, do what I do. This had not happened yet, but it was, going to happen. And it's not been fulfilled in its fullness yet for Israel, but it's going to happen. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. 
Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He's cast out your enemy, the King of Israel. The Lord is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion, let not your hands be weak. And he says, remember all of this. Why? Because the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will, and this is what we're to do. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Loved ones, if we could just begin to understand how he delights over us. You say, I feel so defeated, Pastor. I feel so alone. My problem's not anger. My problem's not politics. My, my problem's not the Biden administration or the Trump administration. I got, I got other issues. Do you understand that he loves you and he sings over you? He sings over you. When earlier I said he's weaning us off of this system with all of my, with all of my kids, with all of my kids, when it came time to wean them off of a bottle, they did fine during the day. It was no big deal. They, sometimes they'd want a bottle out of habit, but you give them something else. Who's going to want a bottle when you got a cheeseburger? (laughs) But sometimes at night. When they're so tired. You know, children aren't rational at night. Everything makes them mad. You're, you're denying them everything just because you want them to take, you know, go to bed. But I tell you what I learned to do with all my kids. I'd, I'd hold them close and they'd want a bottle. And I'd say, you don't need a bottle. You know, you might give them a passy or you got a cup of water. I'm not starving you. Whatever you want is right here, but we're not going back to the bottle. I want my bottle. No, you can have anything else. You can have a cup. You can have whatever you need. You can have it. It's right here for you. They never went, okay, I'll take a sausage. No, it was always a fight. But this is what happened. I would rock them. Jesus loves me, this I know. (laughs) And I loved it, especially Molly, when she would be almost asleep but want something that was off her menu. She'd... Sing, Daddy. Sing. And then I'd say, what do you want me to sing? And she'd tell me. And then, you want me to sing so Yes. Then she'd start crying again. She wanted the song. She knew the song wasn't going to fill her belly. She knew the song wasn't going to get her bottle. But she was learning. She was learning as that little one. She was learning that there was something in the love of a daddy's embrace that she could never get from a bottle. 
they learned that there was something better than what their old system was accustomed to. And loved ones, I believe with all of my heart, that's where God has us right now. He's not forsaken us. He's not forsaken us. He wants you to get a song. Well, it's time for us to quit. So that means I'm done whether you're done or not. This is the way we want to end the service today. I know it's a little difficult for those that are watching at home, but as usual, wherever you are, if you want Jesus as your personal Savior, if you're watching online, call in, and there'll be somebody ready to help you uh, make that decision for the Lord. If you'll come forward and, and tell one of the ministry team that you want to give your heart to Jesus, you may, you may be here and need prayer for a, a dozen other things. You may be sick. You may have problems at home. Ministry team, I'm going to ask them to move into position now. They'll be here to pray for you if you need to be prayed for for something specifically. But I want you to begin a journey with me today. And in case you're new here, this is the, these folks are what we call our, our ministry team, our prayer team. They're here and you come to them. They will pray for you according to your need. I want you to begin a journey with me today. And this, is, this has been one of the toughest, this has been one of the toughest fights of my life, moving through this COVID stuff and expecting church to function in a way the church has never <laughs> had to function in before, not in my lifetime. And you guys are, you guys are worth your weight in gold. I mean, or maybe my weight in gold. You are, you are fantastic. You are the greatest people on planet earth. You're not the problem. But I want to tell you, it's been tough to try. Do you know what it's like to try to take care of sheep when you can't get to the sheep? Can't get in the hospital, can't do those. It, it's very, very difficult. It's not your fault. But I want to tell you, it, if I'm feeling it, I know you're feeling it. It's the frustration, the sense of nothing's like it used to be. Nothing's easy. Nothing's up close. But I tell you what the Lord has had me doing. He's had me on a journey through the wilderness learning songs. Learning songs. And He is my strength and my song. He wants to be your strength and your song. And I pray for the day that we can break through. I have been doing this and get back to normal and I've come to the conclusion that I don't know that our normal will ever return. You say, oh, pastor, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Okay. I don't know what's going to return except Jesus. I know he's going to return. But I tell you what I do know, the Lord is giving us a song. It's a song we can sing in a strange land. It's a song we can sing at death's door. It's a song we can sing when we can't get to those that we love. And it's a song that is far better than what we've been on. I'm going to ask the, the guitar man, the minstrel, song man, this lovely team of worshipers. I'm going to ask them to end our service today. 
with just a time of worship. Don't get me wrong, singing a song is probably not going to cross you over from this to this. I mean, it could be. It could be you've been on the journey so long, all you need is a push. But what I'm asking you to do is to begin a journey that says, the Lord is not only my strength, he's my song. He not only is my fortress, he's my song. He's not only my hiding place, he surrounds me with songs of deliverance. You see, this isn't something you can come up and I can stamp your head and you got it. Any more than I, somebody could stamp my head and I got it. This is a new way of living. This is saying there may be a Jehoram that is destroying the nation, whoever you think that is. There may be a king of Edom that's as wicked as the day is long that says, I'm your friend, I'm here to help. You may have complaints about racism, about politics, about injustice, and you may be 100% right with all of your complaints. But you're going to say this as I navigate this, bring me a musician. Bring me the song because the song of the Lord brings me into the presence of God. I just want you to start walking with me today.